0: Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's word to be challenged and changed. How are you guys doing? I'm telling you, these guys are killing it up here every week. I mean, just the creativity and, and their practice and their musicianship. Give them a hand. Come on, give them a hand. They don't like that because they're like it's not about us, you know. It's not, but but you know they try to be humble, but but it's really not about them. It's about all of us trying to worship God together. But they kind of lay the foundation, they set the tone for that, and they work so hard. And I'm so appreciative of each and every one of them, and I'm appreciative of you as well for being here. We are have been on a series over the past few weeks where we've been kind of conducting our own campaign here in the midst of the presidential campaign here at Compass Church, where we've been promoting Jesus and his campaign platform. And the wonderful thing about promoting Jesus as your candidate is the fact that you don't have to worry about anything embarrassing coming up about him. You know what I'm saying? He's got pretty good credibility, so you don't have to worry about any deleted emails or a series of perpetual lies or, you know, um, anyway. or, Or you have to worry about a video surfacing that you didn't know about that you're like, really? Did we have to really get behind this guy? And so Jesus has this amazing credibility, and if you've been with us, you know that it's basically been a very clear message that we've been talking about, and that message is the gospel. And the gospel message is good news, right? It is good news. Our message is all about good news. It's not bad news. It's not boring news. It's not terrible news. It is good news. And the good news is this, Two talking points, basically. Two main things that that really encapsulate and crystallize the message. The first one is that God saves sinners. That's so great. Because all of us are. All of us need rescuing, no matter who you are. And so this is a place of joy. This is a place of peace. This is a message of hope. This is something that should fire up your soul. Because at the end of the day, God loves us. And he saves sinners. The second thing is that Jesus is Lord. He is the one who is in charge of the universe. He is the only appropriate one who is worth giving your life to. And so while Trump and Clinton are competing to be Lord of the country, Jesus wants to be Lord of your life over everything. And to me, that has far greater reaching implications when it comes to your day-to-day life much more so than who's going to end up running the country. And the implications for not only your own personal life, but for everyone in your sphere, for everyone in your world, and for the very reason that you are here on this planet. And what really can make a change in the world. Now there's a critical question that every single one of us, if we're at all sensitive to this, We'll ask at some point in our lives. There's different ways of phrasing it, so I I kind of threw up some different ways of asking the same thing. But at some point, everybody comes to a place where they wonder, what do I have to do to get into heaven? Just tell me what I have to do. How do I know I'm living life the way I'm supposed to, that I'm capturing the essence of what this thing is all about? It's kind of the two ways of asking the same question. And then the third thing you could say is, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? What, what do I have to do in order to get that, that quintessential quality of, of existence where I know it's just more than, than just existence, but actually living in life? What do I have to do? What's the secret? And people will search far and wide, and they'll read all kinds of books, and they'll travel to different parts of the country, and they'll investigate different cultures, and they'll, they'll talk to all kinds of different people. It's very, very common in our society for every person Except maybe just a super, super hardcore atheist who says life is meaningless anyway and we all go back to the ground so it's not even worth searching for an answer. But that's a small minority of people. Most people are wondering, what is, the, what is this thing all about and how do, I, how do I live it successfully? And how do I know at the end that when I am held accountable in some way or another, that I'll pass? And so, we sense and even in our our lives, this kind of coming up short. We sense that even though we might do things correctly or well, or some of the time or most of the time, we still feel like there's something missing. What is that that's missing? So like I said, people search far and wide for it. So today, we're going to look at a story where a guy comes up to Jesus and basically asks this question, because he is like us, very much the same way. He's actually a young guy, a young, successful the Bible calls him a rich, young ruler. He's a, he has a high position. He is influential. He is successful. Probably one of these like, type A guys who just click things off the list, high achiever, values, achievement, values, success, values, getting things done right, and um, making sure that he's not missing anything along the way. You may be a person like that, or you might be married to a person like that. You might know a person like that. Someone who really wants to know and doesn't want to miss out on anything. And so he comes to Jesus with this question that's haunting him because with wealth and with success and with even trying to live his life right, he recognizes something is deeply wrong. And he's got to figure it out. And so he comes to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19 And he asks him this question. He says, teacher, what deed must I do to have eternal life? This is exactly like the question we asked earlier. What do I have to do to get to heaven? What what do I have to do to, to, to know that I'm getting this thing right? I'm ready. Tell me what it is that I have to do, and I will do it. So there's this whole dialogue that goes back and forth between Jesus and this guy. And it's really interesting because he's really searching. And in verse 17, Jesus replies and says, He says, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Now, it's kind of a strange response because you're thinking, well, Why would Jesus say, Why are you asking me? It's kind of like, Jesus is supposed to be a nice guy, right? He's not supposed to rebuff people and put them off. Like, What are you asking me for? But he begins, as he does with everybody, to take them on a little journey of thought, a journey, an interplay of ideas. And so he's going to play a little mental gymnastics with this guy. And he says, basically what he's saying is, you don't know me from Adam. You have no idea who I am. In fact, he calls him teacher, just like the Pharisees called him teacher. He didn't call him Lord. He's like, you're just another one of these guys who has some idea to give. So kind of like, what do you think? And Jesus is saying, why are you asking me? There's only one who's good. Follow the commandments. In other words, you're a Jewish guy. You've been raised in this system. You've already been given good stuff. Why are you seeking something outside that? If you want to know, look at the commandments. You can figure this out. Now, he knows that there's a problem with this, but he's just kind of reeling them in. He's, you know what I mean? He's baiting him, reeling them in. And so the guy replies in verse 18. He says, which ones? And Jesus said you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Kind of a weird compilation of commandments. He takes grabs a few from the 10 commandments and then grabs something out of Leviticus and the, the part of the great commandment, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. But the key thread through all of them is they're all observable objective, measurable, outward commandments, right? Not killing anybody, not committing adultery, not stealing anything. These are all things that you can objectively measure. It's harder to measure loving God. You know what I mean? That's like, well, how do you measure that? And again, he's kind of baiting him because he's going, look, he knows what he's going to say because the guy's like, I don't get it. I mean, I've never, never murdered anybody. Never committed adultery, I've never stolen anything. I'm a good citizen. He probably employs people and everything else. He's probably a fair guy. I was like, what's the deal? So Jesus, um, you know, during this conversation, it, he comes back and this guy says, the young man said to him, all these I've kept. And here's the great question. What do I still lack? So he's like, I've done it. I've done it. all these things well. Why is there something missing? And that is a Beautiful question. That's why I underlined and highlighted it on the screen because that really is the essence of where humanity is at when it comes to trying to be good. So we'll, we'll cite karma and we'll like, you know, want to do good deeds for people and maybe give money to the homeless. And, and no matter who you are, you don't have to be a Christian or even someone who believes strongly in God. You just want to do good things because there's a sense in which there's some type of accountability or reckoning that you're going to have to face, whether it's with mother nature or, you know, God or some kind of force or whatever it is. There's some kind of reckoning that we feel like we're going to have to answer for, and so we want to make sure that our good deeds outweigh the bad deeds. And the problem with this guy is he's like, man, I've been diligent about doing all these things, and yet I feel like there's still something I'm missing. And I wonder, is that you? Do you feel like that? Like I'm trying to do what's right, but if this is it, if that's it, I'm not sure I'm there. And again, what's interesting is he can say, I've technically not committed murder, I've technically not committed adultery, I've technically never stolen anything. But the reason why Jesus brings up these particular commandments is because if you, if you study the book of Matthew, earlier in the book, there's a sermon he gives called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, he says some very interesting things about the commandments. For example, he says, you have heard that it was said... At to those of old, you shall not murder. Right? This is what he just said to the guy. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now here's where he kicks it up a notch. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. What Jesus was doing was saying, look, it's one thing to never murder anybody. I mean, most people can get through their life without doing that, right? And by the way, there's a huge difference between killing and murdering. You have to know that. If you kill as an as a agent of the state, that's one thing. But murder has to do with what? The heart. I'm going after you specifically because of what you did and my feelings towards you or my devaluing of you. And murder comes from the heart. And Jesus is going, it's not, the the issue isn't murder. Where does murder come from? Murder comes from the anger and violence and rage that exists in here. If you solve the murder problem, that's one thing, but you haven't solved this problem in here because this is where it all stems from. You can apply the same thing to adultery and everything else. He says, look, you heard it said don't commit adultery. Okay. But I'm telling you, if you've even looked at a woman lustfully with your heart, you've uh, you've uh, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Now, that's not as bad, so to speak, as actually committing adultery, but the seeds of adultery are there. In other words, your heart wishes to do it, wants to do it, desires to do it. And that's where evil and sin comes from. And so what what he's starting to do is he's starting to get to the bottom of the issue because the guy's like, I've done everything right. What's my problem? And Jesus is saying, the problem is in here. You have a problem in here, and until we fix this, you can do all the commands, all the external stuff, all you want, and it won't matter. Because you're still going to have something wrong in here. And that's why he's saying, what do I lack? What's, What's missing? And then Jesus lowers the boom. Verse 21. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. In other words, sell everything you have. Sell all of it. Don't put in the money in the bank. Sell all of it. Take the money and give it all to the poor. And when you're done with that, come with me. Whoa, that's crazy. Jesus never has ever, ever asked anybody to do that throughout this entire time. And he won't ever ask anyone again. So why in the world would Jesus do this? And the most concise way that we can say it is he exposed the heart of this guy's problem, which was this. It was not because he had possessions. It was because his possessions had It wasn't because he had great wealth. It's because his wealth had him. And at his core, he kept, he checked all the boxes and did everything right. But Jesus saw in him a problem where, as we said before, the gospel platform is two things. God saves sinners and Jesus is Lord. And that's the message that Jesus over and over and over is trying to get out. So when he finally um, kind of gets down to the bottom of the issue, in this guy's life, his stuff is his Lord. And that is the root of his problem. His stuff is his definer, is what brings him peace, is what brings him joy, is what brings him significance and success and a sense of self and meaning and purpose. And because of that, he can do all of these. This is so crazy. And because of that, he can say, I've kept all of these things. What is still wrong? And what's still wrong is, there is the wrong God on the throne. The wrong guy is sitting on the throne, calling the shots in his life. And Jesus says, until you can demonstrate because we said faith and obedience are this two sides of the same coin. You need to lose this. Because until you do, you can't find life. You won't find life. As Thoreau said, you'll have your golden handcuffs on forever. And really what this guy was asking, when he says, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? What he was really asking is this. This is so key. Listen to this. What rules do I need to obey while I love something other than God? You see that? That's religion talking. That's religion. Religion, oh, man, this is why I'm going to start fired up Saturday night. I'm going to get fired up, baby. We're not like a super hyper charismatic church, but we may feel like one because I'm going to get fired up. Look at this. Quote, or that's quote, this question, because it comes out of this passage, okay? What rules do I need to obey while I love something other than God? That is religion when you go okay, I'm going to show up for church on Christmas and Easter, and I'm going to make sure that you know, we raise the kids up to like, know the basics about God because we don't want them to like, become freaks or anything like that. And we'll just kind of make sure we maybe do a little bit here, and do a little bit there, and, and we'll vote this way, and we'll live this way, and we won't do this, we won't do that. And, and so that way I, have, I can show God, look God, all the things that I did while I pursue with my heart something totally other than him for all my life. And that is what probably, and I don't know, I would just make up a percentage, but a very high percentage of people in cultural Christian America do. That's what they do. I'll look, I'll follow the rules, so I, it's like fire insurance, right? So I won't go to hell. I follow enough rules, so I go, <laughs> God, come on. I mean, look, look, would you send this face to hell? You know what I mean? you get it all right. And then, while I can pursue and love something else. And that's really what he was asking. Let me do that. What do I have to check so I can go after what brings me significance? And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not going to work here. And so, in one of the most tragic verses in the Bible, in verse 22, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It's so bad. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. And by the way, when it says sorrowful, like if you have the NIV, which is a great translation too, it says he went away sad. Sad's like, oh man, pfft, I was really hoping to get that eternal life thing. No, no, no. It's the wrong, it's not the most, it's the most powerful. The force of this word is grief. Like unstoppable. I mean, sorrow. Like, like grief in his heart. Like, man, I've I can't do that. You just wrap your head around that for a minute. Jesus says, if you want, not just eternal life, like someday when I die, he was a young guy, I mean, like 40, 50, 60, who, you're, who knows how long. Someday when I deal with it at the end, I go to heaven. And it's this, you know, it's this is an elusive thing, even for us, right? It's like, well, someday I'm gonna die. You could die tomorrow, but you don't think you are going to, so like, I'll deal with that later. So hey, forget that. Is He's saying, life now, like, peace and joy and fulfillment and the sense of like, you know, amazement of, of knowing that you're living life exactly the way God created you to live, and he's like, mmm, that price is too high. That price is too high. Why is that? This is gonna wreck you. This. Listen to this. Listen to this. This commentator said this. The man, of course, did not think that his riches were worth more than eternal life, But he must have told himself that he did not really have to give up his wealth to gain it. Oh, think about that. Let that sink in. In other words, he sat there and went, you know, really, it's a grief. He knows. He's like, I know my stuff isn't worth more than heaven. But he lies to himself and says, I don't really have to take it off the throne. I don't really have to obey. I don't really have to follow. I don't really have to risk. I don't really have to change. And you guys, I'm telling you what, I've been a pastor for 20 years, and whether it's junior high students or college students or even like like senior citizens, it, young adults, it, it's across the board, there, There is something within us that says, yes, grace is free. I don't have to do anything to earn it at all. But the call is everything. The call of God is leave every other God behind and follow him with all your heart. There's no specific, you know, Dude, checking this box and checking that box. It is the heart saying, I will pursue you with everything I've got no matter what it costs me. And there's just a very small percentage of people that believe that. And so they try to ride the line throughout their lives. And the problem is, the challenge with us is in our society, you can get away with doing that. And that's why it's so dangerous. That's why this is so critical for us. You can get away believing that you're a Christian, convincing yourself that Jesus doesn't want everything, and and getting even rewarded by the society for how great you live your life and how morally upstanding you are. But inside you're like, I'm not giving that up. I'm not giving that up. Even though it's getting in the way of true discipleship, of true followership. The word disciple actually is the Greek is mathetes, it's where we get our word mathematics from. Did you know that? So disciple follows, 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 becomes like, math, like mathematics. Like I wasn't good at mathematics because so you had to get the exact right answer, right? So I was like, mm, I wasn't very good at it, math. So in other words, you're gonna follow exactly, exactly, exactly. Another guy. Oh, by the way, Jesus never told anyone else. And you look at scripture, Abraham, um, David, Joseph, Arimathea, all these guys had wealth. They all had wealth. And no, and Jesus and God in the scripture never told them to sell it all. Ne- never, never did that. But, so, and here's the thing, I always hear that and I go, okay, good. But look, listen to what this other guy, Robert Gundry, said. Oh, this is good too. He says, that Jesus did not command all his followers to sell all their possessions gives comfort only to the kind of people to whom he would issue the command. Ho, ho, I read that. I'm like, man, I wish I wouldn't have read that. Why does he have to write stuff like that? In other words, if, you, if you're if you like, if you hear, well, Jesus didn't tell everyone to sell all this stuff, you're like, oh, thank God. I was getting scared for a minute. He's probably talking to you. Why? Listen to this. this is, I made this part up. but I mean, I didn't make it up. It's from this text. But I'm, Why did I say that? I'm not go, I made this up. But I think it's good. Listen, I think it's good. My wife said it was good because I, I tried it out on her this morning. I said, what do you think of this? You can have wealth and follow Jesus, but you cannot love wealth and follow Jesus. And it's very easy to love wealth. That's it. That's it. Well, thank you. <laughs> We've got a very small, exclusive fan club. <clears throat> You're welcome to join. No, but but listen. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> Am I getting mocked here? This is great. No, I'm totally joking. But but here's the thing. You can have wealth and follow Jesus. And many people have many people do. But you cannot love it and follow Jesus. And it's very easy to love it. By the way, I would add to that. I would add to that because... You know, not everyone in here is rolling in the dough. You're like, it's easy for me. No, but listen, listen. You can love wealth and not have it. Mm Mm-hmm. In fact, Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard, said, he made a brilliant point. He said that it oftentimes is more difficult for a poor person to understand this than a rich person because a rich person understands that wealth gets them nowhere. Rich person, they may still love it, but they see the emptiness in it, Okay. A poor person doesn't know what it's like to be wealthy, so they spend their lives trying to get wealthy or being envious of those who have it because they don't have it, but they assume that it can supply them what they need. So they still love it without having it, right? So you're if just because you're not, well, I'm not one of those one percenters, so I'm off the hook. No, 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 It is the love of it. You don't even have to have it. But if you have it and you love it, it is not worth keeping it if you miss not just eternity because that's a kind of a big thing but if you miss life if you miss what this whole thing is about, if you miss the journey and the adventure and the mission and the, this, inc- this incredible calling of God it's so not worth it so this is why as this thing is going on, those disciples are watching the whole thing Verse 23, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And that's serious. You know why? Because there are no skinny camels. Right? There's not a camel that's skinny enough to get through the eye of a needle. I've never seen one. Okay? Okay? So that's, the title, that's why the title of the message is called There are No Skinny Camels. Because it's kind of a serious thing. And here's the other thing too. Don't think that this guy is richer than you. Because it doesn't say that he was like the most wealthy guy in the world. It just, again, the sense is that he had possessions. He had a lot of possessions. But it wasn't like he was a king. He was maybe upper class, upper middle class. But historically speaking you are really wealthy compared to like, seriously, roll the dice again. In like history, like roll the dice and land in a year and a geographical place on the planet and I promise you, you have 15 times, you would be 15 worse places than you are now. Just statistically speaking, there are billions of people that would beg to change places with you and me, okay? But the point is, and really, it was almost a joke. See, we don't understand. We read that and go, wow, that's really profound. And it is profound. The whole camel going through the eye of a needle. Except the Hebrew humor was hyperbolic, meaning they loved exaggeration. So when he said, <laughs> I mean, he was, it was a sad moment. Jesus probably broke the tension with like, you know, it's easy for a rich man to go through eye of a needle. And the guy's like, that's kind of funny. They're probably, because, you know, guys like to laugh. And it was like, it was, it was a joke. That would have been funny to them, even though it's true. You know, some things are funny and true at the same time. It's like that. It's witty. And they remembered it. And they did remember it because they wrote it down. They remember the whole thing. So, it's not impossible, but it's extremely difficult because there's no skinny camels. Now let me ask you this. If Jesus asked you to sell all your stuff and follow him, to walk away from your house, your phone, your big screen TV, your sense of comfort, to lose everything, would you do it? Like, oh, I would. Yeah, but would you really do it? If that's what it took. Or would you go would you be like this guy going mm, I think I can do both. I think I'll make it to heaven and hang on to my stuff. I'm going to play the odds. I mean seriously, like I can't answer that question for you. You got to answer that question. Because the lure of it. And here here's the Ironic thing. In our society, and it's a beautiful society, it's a wonderful society, but we have to be careful. The, the better you are at following Jesus a lot of times, at least now, the more honest you are, the more hardworking you are, the more generous and patient you are, the more self-aware you are, the more humble you are, the better you do a lot of times. People are like, I like working with that guy. I'm going to hire that guy. I like this person. I can trust that person, right? Which means the more affluent you become, which is wonderful, but then what happens? You start getting a little change in here, right? And you start going, hmm, I got options, baby, which is nothing wrong with that. But what are you going to do? And it's just, I, I'm telling you guys, I don't want us to get off the hook with the whole, well, this guy's issue is wealth. Your issue might be this, your issue. And it may be, but it probably could very easily be wealth. I'm just saying. and We've got to understand that. Because if, if, if that's the thing that defines you and holds you and grabs you more than anything, you will miss the mission of God and it will be such a horrible disaster. And so, if you can free yourself from this, or at least ask Jesus to free you from it, then you go on the greatest adventure of your life. Meaning, your life becomes not about my 401k, it's not bad to have one of those, but like, when that's everything, like, oh, thank God my 401k is in good shape, and oh, thank God my house is worth this much, and oh, thank God, forget that stuff. You could have those things, but if the goal of your life all of a sudden because I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to be at this gospel thing and when God saves sinners, that has implications. That means there are sinners who if they aren't saved are going to be held accountable for their sin and that's a bad thing. And I've been called to make sure that people don't die without being rescued by Jesus. What could be more important than that? That doesn't mean that you go into full-time ministry. It means you become a missionary. And I'll tell you what, if you wanna know where this culture is going, regardless of what happens politically at the top, it doesn't almost really matter. There can be some things, of course, Supreme Court justices and everything else, those are factors, but there's a lot of other other issues that go on in the periphery that you wanna talk about religious liberty, you wanna talk about challenges, you wanna talk about marginalization, more and more and more, you, my friends, if you're a Christian, are gonna need to live like a missionary. You cannot walk around like this is my, you know, Americans are are supposed to be Christians, and if you're not, you better get with the program. That's not the case anymore. If you're going to be a Christian, you better start learning to think and live like a missionary. And you don't need to move to Africa. In fact, Africa is sending missionaries here. Because they're like, man, that place is getting jacked up. I'm not kidding. Nigeria is one of the countries. Brazil is one of the countries. They're sending people to their own people, groups that have moved here to reach them for Jesus because they want them to be reached for Jesus. The great tragedy of this man's life is he could have sold all his stuff and then gone with Jesus to change the world. But instead, he's getting like, you know, he could have been like a 13th disciple, you know? That had been kind of cool. I mean, it's more than that, but you know what I'm saying. He could have been part of the greatest movement in all of world history, but instead of that, He looked at his house that didn't have running water and didn't have air conditioning. And he went, "Ah, I can't sell that thing. He looked at his camel, probably named Joe, and said, I can't sell Joe. We've been together for years. You know, I can't live without him. Okay. You know, he had some, like, maybe gold pots and pans. Who cares? You know what I mean? He had, like, you know, these uh, Versace robes, right? Really cool. Little thing you could tie to get that V shape, right? Looks sharp. What are those? Moths have eaten those things by now. It was a very, very stupid decision to love that. More than the call of Jesus, and I tell you, I would hate to think there'd be anybody in here who would leave this place and go. Man, that that big screen TV. You know what I mean? That in five years that you paid you know a thousand dollars for, it in five years gonna be two hundred dollars or nothing, like give it away because it's crud now. Or your car is going to be made fun of in like 20 years. Like, people used to drive those things. Or your clothes. <laughs> Holy cow. Like, mom, you wore that. You know what I'm saying? But these are everything to me. Jesus isn't telling you to sell everything that you have. Unless what you have has you. And if it does, you better do you better do some serious business. Some of us are going to be called to some radical things. You know, I was this couple that I was... Uh, doing premarital counseling with, and it was funny because, in you know, we do premarital counseling. There's always, like, that elf in the room, you know, and they're like, well, we're Christians. We love Jesus. I said, great. So, where are you guys going to live, you know, when you guys get married? Oh, well, we're going to live where we live now. Oh, like, with each other. Like, all right. So, and they're like, you know what? We're Christians, and, you know, but you don't understand, blah, 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 blah. I said, hey, I'm not here to judge you, and it was so cool because the, the, the gal, she was like, she just wouldn't get away from it. She goes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to do this right. I want to follow Jesus. It's okay. Then here are your options. Lay them out. You know? And I said, you guys pray about it. Because they were pretty open about the fact that they were sexually involved. And a guy called me or sent me an email a couple days later and said, here's our commitment. We're, we're hands off, everything, nothing happens between now and, and the wedding day. We're going we're to go quickly and get married and we're going you know, to make these changes. And they were changes they didn't want to make. They were changes that were uncomfortable. But the whole question was, how can I follow Jesus and be, be beholden to this lifestyle at the same time? And I love the fact that they were honest and they said, we can't. And when you see that, you see growth. Because in that, you know what, the woman, especially, and both of them, but she was more expressive about it, she finds peace in that. She finds joy in that. She finds fulfillment in that. She finds life in that because she's going, I'm doing what God God created me to do, which is to live for him. And it's not about legalism, guys. It's about what are we really doing here? What are we really doing when it comes to to faith and obedience, when it comes to the call of God, when it comes to understanding that Jesus is Lord, not sex, not money, not uh, fear, not all these things. Jesus is Lord. And if that costs me, if it makes me uncomfortable, if it puts me in a position where I don't know how I'm going to make it, then you know what? That's what I do. We're here at Compass Church to help people find their way to God. And I'll tell you, it's amazing what God's doing with people's lives in here. Because we're trying, to, we're trying to show what it looks like that when Jesus is Lord. So like a couple of weeks ago, you may not know this, we had an all, uh, all-nighter with our student ministry. 213 students showed up here. 213. 75 first-time high school and junior high students. And you know what Pastor Dave said was so brilliant. He said, you know, that's 75 families. That represents 75 families that have never been to our church. The, the, the potential, and, and Mike said about 30 of them came forward to respond to God and to respond to the call of Jesus. That's happening here. Do you understand what how the trajectory of a young man or young woman's life can change because of that? And so Jesus isn't saying, don't, you know, don't be rich. Jesus is saying, take what you have and invest it and use it and, and use it in such a way that it proves that Jesus is Lord, that you believe that and you want people to know that. And so that is happening here, and it's a wonderful and beautiful thing. You have on your seat these, uh, and hopefully you didn't think the chairs were reserved, um, but we, you know, some of you probably did. Sorry, we messed that up. But um, anyway, the the trunk or treat thing. Why are you guys doing trunk or treat? You know, this is like a big event. So not just because it's a church activity. I don't like church activities if if they don't have any meaning. This has an important meaning because we had 2,200 people on the campus last time. And you know what? Out of those 2,200 people, a whole bunch of people had never been here before showed up. And guess what? Out of that, a bunch of them came back. And I met people that said, I came the first time to this church because of trunk of a tree. Because you guys threw something for my kids, you know, and it's like, we're not trying to contribute to the o- obesity epidemic among little kids in this country. But one night, it's not going to kill you. So here's a bunch of candy. And Hopefully, you'll see that we just, we love you, we love Jesus, and we want you to come to know him because we have a message that we're enthusiastic about, which is that God saves sinners. It doesn't matter how messed up you are. Come on in and hear about forgiveness and hear about grace and hear about healing and hear about restoration because God's in that business, and that means everything, and that's the message we get enthusiastic about. Yeah, another fan. My wife, or my my wife actually is leading a, a a group with a very good friend of hers on Friday mornings, and there's women that come to this thing, and I'm not gonna give you any details. I don't know. She tells me little bits and pieces. I just know there's a lot of crying, um, you know, because it's all women, um, and so there's a lot of crying. But but the reason is just a lot. Of, there's a lot of stuff going on, right? There's just life stuff, and she's blown away by by how God is working in the lives of these women to to that just have all kinds of brokenness in their lives but but they're getting healing because they're because they're learning how to align their lives with Jesus and that's that's like bringing them water for to a dry land you know these are the things that are happening here but i will tell you earlier this week i was in minneapolis at our denominational headquarters and i they brought in some of the the most brilliant thinkers in this field, in the world, guys that have written all kinds of books and there was very small groups that we had a chance to interact with these guys and they were saying exactly what I was saying earlier. The way the culture's headed, we just see this all over the place. If you're, if you're going to be a Christian, you better start acting like a missionary because this ain't your place anymore. This ain't your place. For the first time, did you know for the first time, our denomination is... Supporting in the worldwide mission category is supporting American missionaries. That was always in the global sense, like you know, well, well we're going to go to this country and this country. Now they're taking those and they're sending them into into certain pockets of America that are so far gone spiritually that it might as well be Africa or anything else. Get ready. And I think it's in some senses I'm not excited about that, but I do think it's going to be a defining moment because it will be easier in the future for you to make the distinction between, am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to follow that? So, that being said, the question is, what is Jesus asking you to do? He's asking you to go on the journey of spreading the message of the gospel of the kingdom, and don't let anything hold you back. There's nothing, there's nothing worth holding on to that should capture your heart more than the beauty of the gift that God's given us in Jesus. That's all I'm here to tell you. Let's pray. You know, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you're like, you know, I'm ready to break the power of the, st- the things that are holding me back in my life. You know, I don't want to make a spectacle out of you, so I'm not going to ask you to do anything, but if where where you are, would you just in your heart, would you just would you repent right there? Would you just say, "God, God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do to get everything out of the way." And if that means making huge changes financially, then I'm going to do that. If that means something that I know you've convicted me has captured my heart more than you, how can I spend another day of this precious short life that you've given me holding on to something that's just going to burn Say, God, today I'm going to take a step forward. Become more like you. Follow you. Trust you. Obey you. Regardless of my past, you've forgiven all that stuff. When I come to you, you trade all of my sin and ugliness and shame for your righteousness, innocence, and purity, and you call me to be an extension of you. And I just want everyone around me to know so clearly That you are my greatest passion and joy. And so I'm telling you that's what I want. And for some people today, it may be the very first time you've said that. The very first time you said, I want Jesus to be Lord. God, thank you for the fact that it costs nothing for us to be saved. And yet, you ask us for everything, the deepest parts of our heart. What a challenge, what a call, what a life, what a mission. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.copaschurch.info.com